Rebellions are built on hope. And welcome to another episode of Radio Rebellion, a Star Wars podcast. I'm your host, Alberto Calderon. Thank you for joining us on another great Star Wars Saturday. How are you guys doing today? Man, we're going to have some fun. It's going to be a mellow show, pretty low-key. Nothing big is happening right now in the world of Star Wars. We had a couple of news topics to talk about. Most of them have been discussed plenty on social media, but it doesn't matter. We'll do our part and we'll talk about them. Uh, it feels weird being the only one here today. Again, our co-host Oti is off this week. He's actually he's flying right now. He's he's in hyperspace, so our communication relay is not powerful enough to reach him. So he's out this week. He's feeling better. He'll be here in two weeks. Next week we won't have a, a new episode. It is my birthday next week, so I'm taking that day off, spend it with the family, do something. Then we'll be back July 23rd with our review of Brother of, no, we're doing Brotherhood today, our review of Shadow of the Sith on July 23rd by Adam Christopher. That was a great book. And then July 30th, I don't know, we'll figure something out for that day. And then August 6th, we're doing our big live Rogue One watch party. So make sure to tune in that day, August 6th at 5 p.m. We'll start pretty early. Uh, we have some great guests joining us apart from OT. Our friend Andres Alvarez from Safety Minos is going to be here. Our friend Mo is also going to be here. Great fan of Rogue One. And Roberto Venegas is also going to be joining us that day. So we're going to have a lot of fun watching Rogue One as we get closer into Andor. But as always, if you're watching this today, thank you. And if you're brand new to the show, thanks for joining us. And make sure that you subscribe to our channel. Make sure you give us a... A like on this video and make sure you subscribe. I think I said that already. Comment down below any thoughts you might have on the news topics we're going to be discussing. And then, of course, Brotherhood. We're going to be talking about that great book, Brotherhood from Mike Chen. It's back there somewhere. I forgot to bring it. But yeah, that's basically it. And as always, it's still going strong. So make sure you show your support for the Amidale Initiative for Equality Texas. Always looking for help especially in these times. And you know, the links are down there in the description of this video. Same thing for the National Network of Abortion Funds and the What Choice Fundraiser, which just blew, it just went over $20,000. They did great, those people did great, all you guys did great. So yeah, thank you. And if you haven't watched it yet, last week we did our third trivia challenge, focusing on the original trilogy. It's been our biggest episode so far, or at least our biggest live episode. It's gone over 260 views. You guys did awesome with that. And they're going to spoil who won. You probably know, but go check that out. As we're getting closer. Soon we'll do our sequel trilogy, trivia challenge, and then our big overall Star Wars challenge in a couple of months. It's going to be a lot of fun. So if you guys are ready, I know I'm ready. Let's talk Star Wars and Star Wars news. Star Wars news. Star Wars news. And I wasn't going to mention it because I think it's a non-issue. I don't even have a graphic for it, but let's go ahead and talk a little bit about Taika Watiri. He's been on the news a lot this past couple of weeks. He has a new movie coming out. It just came out a few days ago, Thor, Love and Thunder. I'll say I haven't watched it yet. 
reviews are not that bad. I know people are gonna say it's divisive, reviews are all over the place. But if you go to a place like uh, Rotten Tomato, which I know, you take it with a grain of salt. Uh, critics review has been high 60, 69, 70, something around that, around that that range. Last time I checked, the viewer scores was in the 80, 80% or something. So I think it's getting okay. I know people want everything to be perfect. But anyway, how does this relate to Star Wars? Couple of things. Again, he made a comment, most likely joking that he forgot or didn't know that uh, Natalie Portman was in Star Wars, referring to the prequel trilogy. People got in arms. Oh, how doesn't he know he, she was in Star Wars? Gonna be doing a Star Wars movie? Come on, he was joking. And even if he wa he wasn't, who cares? Just give me a good Star Wars movie. You don't need to know the whole cast of all eleven movies and twelve if you're counting the. The animated Clone Wars. You don't need to. Just give me a good story. Give me a good movie. We'll be all right. But I think there was another interview where he said, yeah, of course I knew that she had been there. But So that's kind of out of the way. The other thing is his movie. His movie has been going up and down in the news. Is it going to come out in 2023? Is it really going to come out at some point? Is it already written? He's still working on it. I think a couple of days ago, he said that he's still trying to figure out what story he's going to be telling and making making sure it's going to be a good movie and then people kind of same thing go got up all in arms that he didn't know what a little too late or why this this movie get announced if they don't even have a story my thing is he probably has a story they wouldn't green light a movie without a story maybe he hasn't finished the script or he's writing the script which is fine as long as you know what this story is going to be some of the story bits then i'm sure they say yeah okay go ahead take your time developing it that's what we want. We don't want anything rushed. Big debate about the sequel trilogies that it was rushed. They put soul in the middle of all this and everything went to hell. Just take your time. Catherine Kennedy mentioned it a few months ago that this is a three to four year commitment, three to five years. So if it takes a little bit to get another Star Wars movie. I'm okay with it. Just give me a good story. And then I, either this morning or yesterday, at some point, he went and some. Uh, report came out that actually his movie is going to start shooting early 2023. So if that's the case, why did he just say that he hasn't come up with the script or what the story is going to be again? He's a fun guy during an interview, so he might just be making all this up. But hey, that's great. If they're going to start shooting in early 2023, movie comes out hopefully December 2024. May 2024 might be a bit of a rush, but give it a whole year and a half shoot the movie for six months, and then you have all that time for post-production reshoots and all, or pickup shoots and all that stuff. So again, no big deal. Whenever it comes, it comes out. So that's my thought on the Taika Star Wars movie situation. All right, but our news, what we're gonna be talking about a little bit more today, it's Andor and some news topics on Andor. So news updates, the Andor, Star Wars series coming out August 31st. Everyone's super hyped for this movie. Um, a lot of people were kind of down. Why are we even having this show? We know what happens, blah, blah, blah. But the past couple of months, I think, at least since the trailer came out a couple of months ago on Star Wars Celebration, it just blew up. Everyone's extremely excited for this movie. Everyone's saying that this is going to be the one that's going to kick people in the throat in terms of you didn't think you wanted this show, but once you get it, this is you're gonna love it. Uh, so I don't think this is gonna be a surprise hit. I think the hype for it is building. 
I expect the next trailer to come out most likely early August, for the first week of August. That's the MO for Star Wars TV shows. It's at the beginning of the month is when they drop the full trailer. So we have San Diego Comic Con at the end of July. I don't believe Star Wars is going to be there, at least for movies or TV. I think the High Republic is going to have a presence. So it makes sense to wait, let Marvel, DC, and all those other franchises take the, all the attention in late July. And then early August, give us the trailer for Andor, and then just wait, wait a couple of weeks. August 31st, we'll start with the first two episodes of Andor. So that's going to be great. But news, so the news, so we got a couple of things. First, I think Tony Gilroy had mentioned this. Tony Gilroy is one of the writers, and he's kind of the producer and kind of the one behind this show. He directed a bunch of the reshoots for Rogue One. And he had said in some interview that, and then we got confirmation earlier this week, season one is going to span five years. So five years before Rogue One. So it's going to be one year, and it is five years before Rogue One. So hopefully, let me say that again. So season one of Rogue of Andor is going to be one whole year, and it's going to be five years before the events of Rogue One, which great. That gives us enough time to figure out this story. And then season two is going to be those other four years. And the way they divide it, it's going to be 12 episodes each season. So for season two, the first four episodes, the first three episodes is going to be one year. The next three are going to be year two, year three, and year four. And by the end of it, it goes right into Rogue One. So every three episodes is going to be one year of storytelling. Again, makes sense. If you give me 45 to 60 minutes per episode, which is what I'm hoping, then you have a full movie basically each three episodes is going to be at least a two-hour movie that gives us enough time that's a trilogy and an extra movie so yes give it to me makes 100 percent sense and like we said before great that they have this story plan and they know where they're going yes 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 uh so that's kind of yeah we know that not a bigger surprises but the biggest surprise was or something like the Mandalorian, they usually keep the directors kind of hush-hush. We know, we usually know some of the big ones, Favreau, Filoni, and stuff of that nature, but we don't know which episodes they're going to be directing. Here now we know all the directors and all the writers for the season one of Rogue One, of Andor, sorry. Uh, directors, we have first Toby Haynes, which you might know for Black Mirror, the USS Callister episode, which is that kind of Star Trek, not parody, but kind of Star Trek feel, which is one of the most famous and most recognizable Black Mirror episodes. I really enjoyed that episode. It's really great. So having someone with that background is going to be awesome. He also directed Sherlock, the Sherlock series, The Rain Back Fall, which I believe is the one season two. I think that is when, spoilers for a 15-year-old show, whenever this came out, or 10-year-old, when he confronts Moriarty and ends up killing himself, throwing himself out on the top of the building. Another great episode, so that's going to be great. And he's also directed a bunch of Doctor Who episodes. So Toby Haynes is a great addition. He's going to be doing episodes 1, 2, 3, and then 8, 9, 10. So again, three epi three episode blocks for each of these directors, uh, except one. Actually, no. Toby Haynes is the only one that's directing two blocks. Everyone else is only directing three episodes. Then we also have Susanna White, which I don't know her. I haven't watched some of her work, Our Kind of Traitor and Generation Kill. But they are both kind of these military spy thriller kind of shows. So has the background, the pedigree for this. She's going to be doing episodes four, five, and six. 
And then Benjamin Caron, who's directed episodes of The Crown, if you watch that on Netflix, Sherlock Holmes, The Final Problem, which I think is the final episode of the whole ser series, which I got very emotional in that episode. He's going to be doing episode seven and then 11 and 12. So he's the only one that's not di directing all three of uh, one block. He's kind of going in between some of the episodes, just directing one episode between Susanna Ward and Toby Haynes, and then finishing off episodes 11 and 10 after, Sorry, 11 and 12. So it's going to be interesting to see how that works. Probably this story has to do with what he's doing. So great cast of directors. And then for writers, we have Tony Gilroy, obviously, from the Bourne series, Michael Clayton, Rogue One. So again, politi political thrillers, bunch of action, and spy things. That's what we thought Andrew was going to be. We're getting that. Uh, he's doing episodes one and three. Sorry, one, two, three, and then 11 and 12. Uh, Dan Gilroy, which is Tony's brother, he's from Nightcrawler, another great movie out there, very mysterious. And I think he did one of the Bourne movies also, the one that wasn't the, everyone's favorite out there. But he'll do episodes four, five, and six. Stephen Schiff from The Americans, which was kind of the big name that came out. They were, they were talking about Andor and the feel for it was The Americans, another spy show between US, Russia. Uh, he's doing episode seven, so only directing one episode, which is kind of interesting. And then we also have Bo Williman, who's famo most famous for House of Cards. Again, another political thriller show out there. Forget about the star and everything that he kind of did. But House of Cards was a pretty great series, especially the first two seasons were awesome. So expect good stuff from Bo Williman, and he's doing episodes eight, nine, and ten. So I think that pedigree for the Android series in both directors and writers, it's high up, especially for the type of show that we kind of expect we're going to be getting. So I'm very excited for this casting, basically, that we got. One thing that I would say is diversity is down. We only have one woman and six guys, six white guys, and then one woman who's going to be directing the Susanna Wright, Susanna White. Everyone else is have a bunch of guys, which is, come on, we just came out of Kenobi. Everyone loves Deborah Chow. Everyone loves what Bryce Dallas Howard did with The Mandalorian, a book of Boba Fett. So, come on, I thought Star Wars was starting to branch out. We've all said it, and they've said on their social media, so on every interview, it's like, yeah, diversity is so important. We want to do more and bring more of these voices. And then we get a, our longest running series, 12 episodes, and only one female director. It's kind of, ah, come on, Star Wars. I expected a little bit more from you at this point. Ah, excuse me. But again, I'm interested in this story. I'm being very hyped for Andor CC. It was announced. I've said it's in my most anticipated series. So hopefully it does hit the mark. Only thing, again, it's, wish there was a little bit more diversity behind the camera and in the writer's room. Oh, so what do you guys think about all these Android news? Do you like the directors and the writers? Is there one that kind of jumps out the most of you at you? Um, when do you think we're going to get the next trailer? And yeah, let us know. A lot of good things. Andor, again, Andor, high expectations for Andor. So only a month and a half, like six weeks, 
and we're getting Andor, so not too long. All right, that kind of does it for our news segment. There wasn't, again, it's quiet in the world of Star Wars, at least in the news department. So that kind of does it for our Star Wars news segment. Now let's go to Brotherhood. Let's talk about Brotherhood by Mike Chen. So we'll do our review. It is a spoiler review, obviously. It will be pretty mellow. I won't be doing any big, deep, deep dives into this story. I'll kind of go the way I did my written review. I've got it uh, divided into about five different points, story, canon connection, ease of writing, if does it expand Star Wars? Um, yeah, I think those are. And then just overall what I felt, we won't deep dive into every little nooks and cranny, but you sure can. Uh, it's been said before, it was said before this book came out, and I agree 100%. Now we're just talking about the stories that Brotherhood was made for fans of the Clone Wars animated series, fans of Attack of the Clones. So if you're a fan of those things, you're going to love this this book. It hits on those points. It felt 100% like a very tight four-episode arc of the Clone Wars. You get that feel right off the bat. We have, and when, and it has the same kind of structure that Attack of the Clones have. There is a mystery out there that Kenobi has to go investigate. Something happened and Kenobi, a great investigator, negotiator has to go out there. And then Anakin is on a separate mission with someone else. Something happens to Obi-Wan and then Anakin has to go and rescue him. So very similar in the structure. And that's not a negative point. But again, gives you that feel that you're watching Attack of the Clones or one of those um, Clone Wars episodes where they kind of separated, our Master and Apprentice are separated, but they're going to come together at some point in the story. This is it. This is what Brotherhood feels like. Uh, can, this is a couple of months after Attack of the Clones ends. So before Attack of... No, I'm, <laughs> I'm confusing with that flashback from the Kenobi series. A couple of months after Ken, uh, Attack of the Clones, because Anakin has his robotic arm, uh, he's married to Padme. We'll talk about that in a minute. And then at this point, Obi-Wan has become a master. He's now part of the council. He doesn't know if it's going to be permanent or just temporary because they lost so many Jedi during the Battle of Geonosis. And then Anakin was made a Jedi Knight. He's getting assignments on his his. He's going on assignments on his own. He doesn't have to call Obi-Wan Master anymore, even though he still does. But this book now, after the Kenobi series, also gives you another another layer to the relationship where they are at this point. Uh, and it's awesome, because you start to see some of the growth of both characters and how that then plays into Revenge of the Sith. I might talk a little bit about that as we go on. Uh, big thing, we see how and why Jedi Padawans are pushed quicker into becoming knights and joining the war and getting paired up with a clone trooper. And we see that all this is coming from the big guy back there, the Chancellor, Chancellor Palpatine is pushing for Jedi to become generals in this army real quick. We know why, because we know this story, but at this point, he's just playing both sides again. Uh, Palpatine believed that as uh, more Jedi joined the war effort, by the end, then it's it actually leads to the Jedi officially joining the, arm the Grand Army of the Republic, and it's called the Jedi Military Integration Act. 
And this is, was one of my favorite things from Brotherhood, and I applaud Mike Chen for this. We've always asked what led the Jedi to go from, oh, we're keepers of peace, we're not soldiers, to actually generals in this war. And here we find that out. Palpatine is just pushing this out. We need bodies out there. We need Jedi. People trust them. They're the best equipped out there to be with a bunch of these clones. They're going to be generals. And then again, the younger they are, just push them into Jedi Knight. Now you're a general. Go with your battalion of troopers. And he wants them to have that relationship. Jedi and the clone troopers. And to me, it's not said in the book or anything. I think this also plays to what Palpatine wanted of the Jedi trusting the clones from early on, becoming almost family. That would then when Order 66 comes on, comes out, they're of course thrown for a loop and might go to find other clones if they don't know what's going on. And then they kind of that kind of betrayal happens. But yeah, we get to see how the why that Jedi became part of the Jedi, the Republic Army in this Jedi Military Integration Act. I think it's one of the best things that kind of this book does showing how that all happened. So yeah, so Kenobi sent to investigate a bombing on Kato Nemoidia. Kato Nemoidia. After Count Dooku makes allegation that the Republic tried to assassinate Nut Gonray who was visiting the capital out there so you know, we're gonna get that business of Catalan Ammonia doesn't count that great line from Revenge of the Sith. We're gonna see it here. So again, the negotiator is sent to Catalan Ammonia to figure out what's going on, who was behind this bombing and try to kind of clear the name of the Republic and the Jedi. But of course, Duke is not gonna just sit back and let that happen. He sends his own emissary in the great Asajj Ventress. Man, if you love Asajj Ventress, She's everywhere now, not everywhere. We're getting more Assassin's Ventures little by little. Hopefully we'll get more of her soon. And I didn't know this was going to be the case, but this is the first encounter between Obi-Wan Kenobi and Assassin's Ventures. It was great seeing how the both of them interact. And also with Anakin at one point in the book, and we see the first, or we read the first lightsaber duel between Anakin and Assassin's Ventures, which was great to see. And Mike Chen did a great job writing Assassin's Ventress. Uh, so assisting Kenobi, once he gets to Kato Neimoidia, assisting in this assassination attempt or in this investigation is a Neimoidian local security. She used to be in the local army out there. I believe you pronounce it Rug Quarno. I love her. I love that character. Um, I applaud Mike Chen for what she did, he did with, with her. I'll come back to her in a minute. Uh, so throughout the whole investigation, Asash and Duke are planting seeds of doubt for the Neimodians. Again, trying to tell them the, Rep the Republic doesn't trust you guys. They only see the Neimodians and the Trade Federation as just being in caring about money and your cowards, which is something that even Qui-Gon Jinn said, this negotiation is going to be quick. These Trade Federation people are cowards. And we see where that led to. So they're planting that seed. Kenobi is there trying to convince them you can't stay neutral. By staying neutral, you're giving more power to the Confederacy of Independent System. And Duke and Ventures are trying to say, hey, no, 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 don't trust the Jedi, don't trust the Republic, you do what you guys are doing. And of course, behind the scene, Dooku and Nut Gunra kind of playing with the Trade Federation. So that 
part was very interesting. It goes also to one of uh, a great quotes that we'll talk later. For his part, Anakin is trusted with leading his own kind of humanitarian mission to the planet of Langston. And he's paired up, or not paired up, but he has to take this Jedi initiative called Mil Albeth. Alibeth. Mil Alibeth. And here, give me one second. It's me clapping Mike Chen for giving us the character Mil. Everyone loves Mil. I love Mil. This young Sabrak girl, Jedi initiative, initiate that. It's a very interesting way of feeling the force. And we'll talk more about that. But for Mil, she didn't care about going to Ilum to get her own cover crystal, which is what she was going to do. She doesn't know why the Jedi fighting the war were supposed to be peacekeepers. She now sees lightsabers as murder weapons or, or weapons of war. Uh, she doesn't want to do any lightsaber training. So very interesting to see that character as a Jedi. And then by the end of the book, she doesn't know if she wants to keep going down the Jedi path. And then it takes Anakin and it takes Yoda and a bunch of people talking to her to, for her to make her decision. Oh, she's an empath, so she was getting overwhelmed when she sensed fear and anger and emotion out there. It would actually affect her. She would get sick and throw up, and that's why she couldn't go to Elam. And again, going in this humanitarian mission, when she feels all this suffering and anger and fear out there, it affects her. We haven't seen this in Star Wars. Maybe a little bit in The High Republic, which is another reason why I love this book. Has that little, my High Republic... High Republic hearts did enjoy her. All right, so back on Kato Neimodia, Kenobi, of course, is taken into custody twice. The first time he escaped with Rook, I believe. Rook didn't shoot, shoot him because she was, uh, he probably has a plan. Uh, but then once Anakin finds out, he and Mil, they race to Kato Neimodia to rescue him, of course, which then leads to the infamous, uh, that business on Kato Neimodia doesn't count, quote. And I'll say why that it counts. Uh, but by the end of the book, there's service, evidence pointing to both sides, to the Republic and to the Confederacy of Independent System kind of being involved in the bombing. And there's a second bombing when Kenobi's there, which is Asajj kind of gets inside the head of one of the other security guards, the uh, trainee that was with Rook, kind of convinced him that the uh, Jedi and the Republic are there just to mess up with the uh, Nemodian. So he set up a bunch of bombs. So yeah, by the end of it, there's evidence for both sides, which kind of makes sense because Palpatine is playing both sides or Sidious is playing both sides. So of course it does show. And then the... Trade Federation and the Modians cannot decide. We're just going to stay neutral. We don't want anything to do with this. Um, that's kind of the overall of the story. But again, if you're a fan of Clone Wars, a fan of Attack of the Clones, then you should probably, you're going to love this book. If So go ahead and give it a chance. So ease of reading. A lot of people, they have trouble getting into books. And I get it. It took me a while to get into books. But this book, Mike Chen, did a great job. And on all my reviews, at least my written reviews, I make a point to talk talk about it, how easy it was to get into books. Some books, and I'll say it, and there's a bunch of them out there, Throne books. I know a lot of people love Throne, and I like the character, but the way that, that those books are written, you have 
15, 20 page chapters, very technical, and not a lot of people are gonna get into those. This book is short chapters with the heading tells you whose, whose point of view we're gonna be following for that part of the story, which is a great idea. You don't have to read five pages to kind of, oh, okay, we're back there with these five characters I haven't seen in three chapters. No, no, it tells you chapter 20, Anakin Skywalker. Okay, we're going back to Anakin, chapter whatever, Obi-Wan Kenobi or Sash Mentor. So you know which story you're gonna be following. Short chapters. We have chapters that are about six pages long. The longest one might be 10 pages and it's not a very tall book. Again, I wish I had it here with me to show you. So it's, you can get on, if you have 10, 15, 20 minutes, you can go but read three chapters pretty easy, maybe more. If you have five minutes, you can read one chapter. So if you're, kind of in doubt if you can get into a Star Wars book because reading Star Wars stories or just reading in general is not the way you enjoy these type of stories. I think you can give this shot a book and it's pretty easy to get into it. So in that point, kudos to Mike Chen for having this book, making this book pretty easy to read and follow. Characters, give me one second. Let me drink a bit of water. All right, characters. Characters are great. Again, Mike Chen had the difficult job out there to have to write Anakin Skywalker and Obi-Wan Kenobi in two very important points in their lives, points that we as fans know from one end to the other, right there in the middle of the prequels, uh, after Attack of the Clones, right before the Clone Wars start. That's a point of a time point that we as fans know very good. So it was great to see what Mike was able to do. So it's always Obi-Wan. Kenobi feels like an extension of the character from Attack of the Clones. It's right there on his way to being the negotiator from Revenge of the Sith. Great job. He even goes to, uh, to the deli. Oh, I can't believe I forgot his name. Dax. He goes to Dax Diner. Uh, they have a great conversation. Dax, again, is the one that kind of pushes him a little bit on where to go. He even brings in uh, Satine's names a few times, kind of goading uh, Obi-Wan a little bit on the way he deals with certain situations. We get more backstory with um, Dex, with Dex, so we know Dex, Dex Diner. With Dex, we get more of his backstory, why he knows so much. He was an information broker in his past life. He still has a bunch of connections. We get that, which again, is great to see. Um, and like I said before, I love that Obi that Mike Chen paired Obi-Wan Kenobi with Rogue, with the Rogue Quarnon, with this Neymodian police officer out there, or military. Uh, Obi-Wan's idealism, always thinking about, it was good out there. It's always positive. It was great to see him, his idealistic nature, be paired up with someone that tells him sometimes the galaxy doesn't always act the way you want it. So you think, yes, of course, we should be doing this because it makes sense, because it's the right thing to do. But in the real world, that doesn't always happen. And there's a line in this book. It's not a quote. It's a line from Mike Chen talking about Obi-Wan Kenobi, and I believe this 100%. It says, Obi-Wan Kenobi was too good for a galaxy at war. And I think that encompasses the character of Obi-Wan Kenobi perfectly. He's too good for a wor world at war, but he's also 
kind of one of the few that can do something about it. But his idealism gets in the way of seeing that true nature of some people out there, that they can go the extra mile to kind of hurt someone. I love that because I love Obi-Wan Kenobi and that kind of really pushes what the character is. And so he needed someone like Rook to kind of show him the world out there is not what you want it to be sometimes. So Anakin Skywalker, again, another tough, tough one for Mike Chen to crack. He did a great job. If you've read Matthew Stover, Revenge of the Sith, that comes up a lot in kind of inspiration for a lot of people writing Anakin Skywalker, that sun dragon myth, that furnace heart, always burning, always wanting to do something for those people that he loves. And that's what he is at his core. Anakin is that person that will always feel the need that, to protect those that he loves and he cares about. And it's here. And of course, by the end of his story in Revenge of the Sith, that's what leads to him then falling into Darth Vader and everything with Sidious. Is, he thinks he's doing it to help Padme and those that he loves because he loves so deeply. And they cannot come and bite him, of course. But in this book, we see how that kind of works to his advantages. We also see how Anakin, the influence that Qui-Gon Jinn and Sumish Skywalker had on Anakin, it's here. So if you love that connection, all those people out there that said that if Qui-Gon had lived, maybe Anakin would have turned, wouldn't have turned to the dark side. We get a lot of fear of him thinking about Qui-Gon, how things might have gone. We do get glimpses of Anakin maturing a little bit, not going kind of lightsaber first into action, sitting back, assessing the situation, becoming a little bit like Obi-Wan Kenobi when all this, there's a bunch of bombs that they know are planted around the city instead of just going straight in and killing or trying to apprehend where I put them. Okay, what do we need to do to find the bombs, disconnect them, giving Obi-Wan time to what he needs to do? So that was great seeing him mature a little bit, which I think then kind of goes a little bit against his character in Revenge of the Sith, which I think is back to being a little bit more aggressive with his actions, aggressive negotiations, more non-aggressive or more kind of, yeah, let's not think too much about it. Uh, again, not a big dig on it. Like I mentioned, my High Republic loving heart, love the addition of Mil, Arbeth, Mil Alibeth, uh, the way she senses the force, it's a little bit similar, but still different to another empath out there, Imbri Cantaros from the High Republic. Uh, like I said, Neil has no desire to fight in the war, no desire to construct a lightsaber, no desire to go get a lightsaber uh, kyber crystal. Uh, she doesn't know why Jedis were keepers of peace if they have to be in the middle of a war. Um, like I said, she grounds Anakin a little bit and start his journey of being a teacher and a mentor, then with Ahsoka coming up. So it's not a complete kind of thrown in your face for Anakin when he gets Ahsoka as a Padawan. He's had a little bit of experience now with Mil Alibeth out there as a teacher, as a mentor. So she does help Anakin, again, grounds him a little bit. Very interesting, interested to see where her story goes. We get her here for the most for most of the book. She's still alive, thank you, at the end of it. Hopefully we'll get more stories with Mil Alibeth out there. Oh, excuse me, either animation, live action, more books, comics, whatever. Give us more Mil Alibeth. Everyone loves Mil. Uh, like I said before, of the other main characters or new main characters I introduced, Rook Quarnon might be my favorite. 
I love that character. It gave me more of an appreciation for than the Moridians. I would say I, it was difficult for me to picture a Neimoidian when I was reading this because we only see the Neimoidians in the movies and they're not the best out there. So it gave me, was difficult to picture those, that species. But also that's kind of the, the reason for this book to show that the Neimoidians are not just what we believe from just watching the movies, which is not what Anakin, the Jedi, Obi-Wan and the Republic think of the Neimoidians. There's more, they have a culture uh, they have history. They have more to give to the galaxy than just their trade system. And I think the book does a great deal of humanizing the Neimoidians for the characters in the book from the Republic and the Jedi, and also for the readers like myself. Again, I love Rogue. I want to get more with Rogue. She's a great character. So again, Mike Chen did a great job with the legacy characters and also with the new characters. Whew. So canon connection, a lot of connection, like I said before, with the prequels, other books, video games. Um, we get Jarrod Tarpal is there for the Jedi Fallen Order, a little red-headed Padawan that they mentioned. So Jarrod and Cal Kess is talking with Akin, or at least this is um, Kenobi looking from above. Uh, we officially learned that Obi-Wan's Kenobi nickname of Ben Kenobi came from Satin Chris. This is something that was out there. It wasn't official. It's not, <coughs> excuse me, now part of Star Wars canon. So it's good to get that answer. Everyone asks why he goes by Ben during A New Hope and during the Kenobi series. Now we know because Satin used to call him Ben. Uh, we have mention of a new character, this trans clone trooper called Sister. She was introduced in the... E.K. Johnson book, Queen's Hope. We only get a mention of her, so not a lot, but again, new characters. We just talked about representation in Star Wars. It's good to get it out there also in the books. Hopefully we'll get a little bit more. So she makes a brief cameo here. Uh, and then Anakin confessing to Palpatine what he did to the Tusken Raiders after they had taken his mother, which then he uses this against Anakin in Revenge of the Sith planting again that seed of doubt that he doesn't trust the Jedi, doesn't trust Obi-Wan Kenobi to tell him that, that story when he tells Palpatine. So we get that here. So the canon connections all over the place. Um, so that's great. If you like making those kind of connections out there, you want a little bit of the story everywhere. So those are there, all those little Easter eggs. Expand Star Wars, this book, it's a little bit difficult because it's set in a time period between two of the prequel trilogy movies plus the Clone Wars. It doesn't give it a lot of breath. doesn't give Brotherhood a lot of play when it comes to, to expanding established canon. Uh, it does give us a little bit more glimpses into how Palpatine was manipulating the conflict from both sides, like I mentioned, creating the this new initiative for the Jedi to join the Republic plus then playing the other side with the bombings and with Count Dooku, ensure that the Republic is kind of blamed for what's going on. So it was pretty good seeing that. Um, and also how he was promoting Padawans to become, to join the war that he created. So it's good to see a little bit more of that. And another great addition was the multiple, multiple, multiple mentions of Anakin and his robotic arm, that new extension out there. Uh, real world, there's people that have 
have lost or were born without part of their arms or legs, and it takes longer time to get used to those artificial limbs. And we get that here. We get Anakin, even if it's a millisecond after he thinks about using his hand, that it actually responds, and how he has to train himself to use that arm, and even for using the force and for lightsaber when he's fighting. Um, as Ash Venture, it takes him an extra millisecond to for that hand to respond, but then he sees that he has more power behind it, so he starts using it more. Um, so it was great to see that. Uh, we also, another great thing, and I said this also with some of the High Republic uh, young adult books, especially, uh, I forgot the name of it with Daniel Jose all there, one of the last ones. Tell you in a minute. Um, I don't have it there because I have the audiobook. Um, anyway, it lets what I was going to say those books lay let the Jedi Pala ones, the kids, be kids, fall in love, flirt, crash and burn, uh, just joke and do all those stuff. Here we finally get Anakin and Padme as husband and wife, and of course, in Queen, in all the Queen's Hope, Queen Hope and Queen's, all the E.K. Johnson's book, we get. A bunch of it, but here we get a glimpse of Anakin and Padme not being Jedi, not being senators. They're just two people in love. They just got married. They go down to the underground of Coruscant. Anakin had rented out this old racing spot to watch. Uh, he used to go down there to watch illegal pot racing. So it gives them time to just be a couple, and they do couples do in a speed out there. But it was great to give them some time to shine as just newlyweds and not people in this conflict. So it was great to see that. <sighs> All right, so just finishing up. Overall, I'll repeat my point again and again. If you're a fan of the prequel trilogy and the story set around that time period, Brotherhood is a great continuation of those type of stories. And you're going to love this book and those characters. Um, I'll say one thing, I'm not one that subscribes to the thinking that Mace Windu hated Anakin. But if you do, there's a lot here to kind of push that thinking out there. There's a lot of interactions that might point to it. Every time Anakin turns around and Mace Windu is there, he's just scowling at him, kind of just frowning. Uh, so we get some of it in, of course, Revenge of the Sith when he said he doesn't trust him. I've always kind of said that's just Mace being Mace, but if you kind of subscribe to that, we, we get a little bit of that. So yeah, great book, quick read. So it gets my endorsement for you guys to go read it. And some of the quotes, you know me, I love my quotes in Star Wars. There's one that says, "Without," and this is coming from Obi-Wan Kenobi, without trust, we have nothing. Without truth, we have nothing. We must have faith in it, which is what he's trying to get talking to Rog and then to the Katonemoidian people when he's trying to appeal his case. We need trust. We need the truth. Without it, we need to have faith. Without it, we have nothing. So that was one of those great quotes. And then going back to that business on Katonemoidian doesn't, doesn't count. So what happens? Uh, Kenobi hides his lightsaber somewhere when he gets taken into custody the second time because he knows he's going to use it. So he calls to his lightsaber as he's running. But of course, Anakin shows up. So then he tells Anakin, oh, if you paid attention today, I was on my way out of here. You, in fact, 
bump into my lightsaber. So this doesn't count. So that's the big story when we get, oh, you didn't rescue that thing on Catania doesn't count. Because I was rescued myself, you just bump into my lightsaber. So it's your fault. You didn't rescue me. I was doing fine. So we get clarity into that quote, meme, everything out there. So yeah, that kind of does it for our review of Brotherhood. I'll say it again. Pretty good Star Wars book. I don't, it's not going to be in my top five. I don't know if it'll be on my top 10 just because there's so many great Star Wars books out there. We'll talk about another great one in a couple of weeks in Shadow of the Sith. That might be in my top five. And of course, a bunch of the High Republic books and Catalyst and Lost Stars, Leia, Princess of Alderaan. So just making a list of favorite Star Wars books is very difficult. But again, if you're a fan of the Clone Wars, you're going to enjoy this book. So give it a shot. All right, so that, that does it, I think. That does it for our show today. Again, I, I say it was going to be a mellow show. It's going to be pretty quick, under an hour, 45 minutes. It's nice always talking Star Wars with you guys. Um, let us know again in the comments what you thought about all the Taika Waititi news, the Andor news, um, and Brotherhood. Have you read it? Are you going to pick it up? What else are you excited for in the world of Star Wars? And I'll say it again, next week we're going to be off. It'll be my birthday, but then we'll be back July 23rd with our review of Shadow of the Sith by Adam Christopher. But yeah, guys, thanks for being here. Have a nice weekend. Stay safe. Be safe. May the Force be with you.